0: Everybody needs money. That's why they call it money.
1: The best things in life are free, but you can give them to the birds and bees. I need
2: From Fool Global Headquarters, this is Motley Fool Money. Welcome to the show. Thanks for being here. I'm your host, Chris Hill, and I'm joined by Motley Fool Senior Analyst Seth Jason, James Early, and Shannon Zimmerman. Guys, good to see you. Good, good to see, see you, Chris. Chris. On this week's show, Apple reaches a milestone, BP tries to get a handle on the spill, And the SEC may have found a rat inside Disney. We'll get the story behind the Aflac duck, kick off the summer movie season with some films for Memorial Day, and share a few stocks on our radar. But we begin with the BP story. On Friday, CEO Tony Hayward called the oil spill, quote, an environmental catastrophe. He had previously said the impact would be modest. On Thursday, President Obama addressed criticism of the government's response taking responsibility for the relief effort, but saying the government does not possess technology superior to that of BP. Seth Jason, you're a BP shareholder. In the Mm -hmm. past week, we've seen people in the media saying everything from BP's handling of this crisis is textbook on what not to do, to BP's handling may become the gold standard of what to do. Where do you come down? Uh, Can
3: I pick somewhere in between? (laughs) Please do.
2: It is inevitable that
3: that people are upset about this. This is a horrible tragedy. Remember that that people died in this in this, and that's horrible. And what could happen to the marshlands and the wetlands all across the Gulf Coast is is very bad. I think that the rush to judgment, however, is is understandable, but completely misplaced. We're at the point already in the early history of this where we're going back a couple of weeks and looking at statements that are are now turning out to be inaccurate and and presuming them to have been made in bad faith or been made you know in, in malice and I, again, I like to point out that this is this is a, a hole in the ground that starts a mile below the surface of the ocean. It's not only incredibly difficult to do; it's incredibly difficult to know what's going on down there. And so, could they probably have handled not only the the drilling better, but the response? Yes. But I'm not really I'm not willing right now to go ahead and say they're doing a horrible job or they're doing a great job. I think they're doing a pretty good job, but uh, we'll have to judge this uh, from further out. Says so Seth, as a BP investor. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs>
4: <laughs> they finally admit it's, a, it's an environmental catastrophe. Um, you know, they, they sent a guy out there to, to manage this rig who was out there to, to, quote, learn about deep water. The Wall Street Journal has a great series on this. And as we say, that's an isolated specific thing, not a
3: whole company-wide thing. But, uh, you know, and It BP- may also be something that, that that's done across the... I mean, remember, they've they've dug a lot of wells like this. So if we look at stuff like this, if we don't know whether that's abnormal, it's really tough for us to say... How could they have done this? Well, there's no doubt
4: that that, that you know the the NMS, you know, the Minerals Management Service did not do a good job of policing this stuff in general. Um, you know, and I'm sure there are other issues out there too. But you know, BP could have to pay a fine on. All the oil is leaked, so they do have an incentive to sort of lowball these estimates. Uh, BP is also the largest uh, supplier to the Department of Defense, according to the Wall Street Journal, in terms of fuel. So that they could lose 2.2 billion worth of these contracts. So I think, you know, even even how the PR stuff handled was aside, that's a big issue for BP, and obviously they've now messed up offshore drilling for for pretty much everybody else now too.
5: Yeah, I'll, I'll just add that there's a way in which both sides on this debate are accurate. Certainly, uh, BP has kind of blown the the PR uh, war. You They've gone from modest to ca- catastrophic, and along the way, it was modestly catastrophic, I think. So <laughs> that, that they have definitely mucked that up. Uh, but to Seth's point, it, you know, BP, prior to this catastrophe, uh, did have the best reputation among all of the majors uh, in terms of their environmentally correct record. So uh, here's hoping that they've figured out a way to solve this problem and that it uh, it works in a way
4: that's consistent with their track record. Did they the have the best record. Record? safety record, or was it just lip service? I think it'd be interesting to...
5: It, well, so I, I, I base that primarily on the fact that in the, the world of socially responsible investing mutual funds,
3: no major oil company has ever touched except for BP. Yeah. And the other thing to remember here is that this isn't these these oil companies, BP and the rest of them, they don't have some cavalier attitude about this. This costs them tons and tons of money when things like this go wrong. So there's no there's no business incentive for them to be lax. There's very there's a lot to lose and very little to gain from them not paying enough attention to this. The fact the, the thing that amazes me is that we
2: don't have one of these every few years because this is really really complex stuff to do. Speaking of tons and tons of money, uh, as of Friday, (laughs) shares of BP have fallen around 25% since the explosion. That's a little more than a month ago. Just quickly around the table, Shannon, are you buying shares of BP right now? Does it look attractive from an investor standpoint?
5: Buy, baby, buy. So now uh, BP has all the incentive in the world uh, not to muck this up uh, again. And uh, consistent with their track record, you know, if you're going to invest in a major and you're concerned about environmental uh, catastrophes, uh, BP was a good company before. It's a good company now.
4: James? I'm not buying. If, if there is gross negligence proven, I think BP is in big trouble legally.
3: Seth? I think the odds of that are low. I think I would be. I would just continue, continue buying and I'll at
2: least continue holding. The Commerce Department said on Friday that consumer spending was unchanged in April, making it the weakest showing in seven months. Consumer spending accounts for around 70% of total economic activity. So, James, is the economic recovery missing the actual recovery part?
4: Well, it's <laughs> a good question, Chris. You know, the way I see it is some people have real nerve, you know. Personal incomes rose 04 percent and, and, and they're not spending all of it? And I mean, I'm kidding. You know, I mean this is what I liked. This is the best news I've seen in a good while. I mean, the irony is the government wants people to spend, people want the government to spend, but I've never understood how we're supposed to get ourselves out of a spending problem with more spending. You know, I think it's a good thing that, that we're earning more and actually saving money for a change.
5: And and James has been consistent on this point for, for basically since the beginning of our, our broadcast. And Because he think, hates America. I think he does. <laughs> and it's sensible, smart advice. But what's sensible? and smart for individuals isn't so much for the economy when the economy is powered by consumer spending to the tune of 70%. Yes, there will be a time to save. That time is not now, James. 70% is the problem in the first place. Well, fine. Let's solve the problem and then um, people can save again.
3: Yeah, geez. If everybody say... I'm with James. I am... The, actually, everybody in this room is really, really cheap as far as <laughs> <laughs> <I think laughs> That's so. true. true. And we are <laughs> savers. The, the problem is that if everybody pulls back and saves at once, then there are no jobs for anybody else. So what has to happen is that we have to have enough economic growth now that things get a little bit back towards uh, towards normal. And I don't mean housing bubble normal. I mean other normal. And then after that, people need to ease back and become responsible.
5: That's right.
2: Okay, loyal listeners. Drink some coffee. Grab a can of Red Bull. It's time for This Week in Financial Reform. House Financial (laughs) Services (laughs) Chairman Barney Frank says he expects financial reform to be the law of the land before the July 4th recess, but he also said that the derivatives regulation in the Senate bill, quote, goes too far. Shannon, on last week's show, you were excited about that regulation Uh because it would require investment banks to spin off their derivatives business. Any response for Chairman Frank, who we we can only assume is a loyal listener to Motley Full Money?
5: Disappointment springs eternal, Chris. It's really (laughs) uh, sad, tragic, when you're on the cusp of having something, uh, it's a meaningful reform that has teeth. I I think I said last week that the the derivatives piece of financial reform legislation was kind of a proxy for how serious the legislation was going to be. And uh, lo and behold, you've had not just from Barney Frank, but from other uh, folks who you would think would be a great proponent of this, walking it back already. I
4: mean, I hear you. Actually, I understand. You know, the, the derivative stuff. There is some benefit to, to spinning it off. The banks would be a lot safer. But just to be devil's advocate, would transparency alone fix the problem? To me, the big problem was was not anything more than untransparent securitization. And so, if we do bring all the derivatives trading onto an exchange, banks have to report that. Is that so bad? A you know, giant
5: step in the right direction, but not sufficient. To the extent that you know, uh... uh traders going to be motivated to take on outsized risks that could have ripple effects across the more conservative parts of of a bank, uh, with the the implicit guarantee of the federal government via the FDIC, that's just not something that I think is tenable. And the the, the, the legislation could have, and maybe it will still uh, yank that that out. But right now, it looks like it's so your on the ropes. Is
4: because we can't bucketize the implicit guarantee; it should be separate. In other words the government wants to guarantee the good part of the bank but if the bad part comes mm-hmm. with it that's the problem a- absolutely yeah.
3: and I and I agree with that I just worry that that Wall Street will figure out a way around these rules and so I, I would really rely more on transparency in the greed instinct of Wall Street banks let let them slug it out in a way uh... because It'll be easier to watch what's going on. The problem with regulation is it always has unintended consequences at some point. And these are some very smart and sneaky guys. It it absolutely does. And I think
5: that what people shouldn't get in their minds is that, you know, oh, this regulation is the end of it all. It's it's going to solve everything. It's whack a mole. And so, you know, exactly right. They're very innovative on Wall Street. And so the the conversation, which is really what it is about regulation, would have to continue.
2: Would you go so far as to say they're (laughs) slegal? I absolutely would. Coming up, the adventures of Mickey Mouse and the alleged insider trading. Stick around, kids. You're listening to Motley Fool Money.
1: You're the best things
2: Welcome back to Motley Fool Money. Chris Hill here in the studio with Seth Jason, James Early, and Shannon Zimmerman as we dig into some of the companies making headlines this week. But first... Time to welcome a new radio station to our growing list of affiliates, WLBYAM 1290 in Ann Arbor, Michigan. Go Blue. Yay. So to all you Ohio State fans out there, hey, sorry. We're we're rooting for Michigan we, in the big game. Do we this not season.
3: have an, o- an Ohio State affiliate?
2: No, but if if our listeners want to, you know, start pinging the good folks in Columbus, hey, we'll we'll, we'll get on that bandwagon right. too. We're shameless. All right, back to the actual companies making news. Walmart is cutting the price of the 3GS iPhone. The old price, $200. The new price, 97 You still have to get a two-year AT&T contract. Seth, people are expecting Apple to introduce the new 4G model next month. So is this a good move for Walmart or is it a good move for Apple or both? Well, it could be both. You know, people go to Walmart. They, they That
3: cart is really big. So you just put that <laughs> little iPhone down in there and you're going to have to buy something else, you know, a couple of uh, bales of toilet paper or something. This is very interesting. The, the speculation is that this is happening in order to blow out uh, inventory on this phone before introducing a new one. And that may be true. Uh, the interesting thing to me is that when you get into the $99 range, you're starting to get toward a price point where you wonder if you're going to get into into a fight and war on dollar signs. And that's not, not a fight that Apple can probably uh, win in the long, long term. So they've got a great lead in smartphones right now. I think they have the best one out there. I don't think the Android phones are nearly as good. But if they're getting to the point where entry-level iPhones are going to have to compete with even cheaper phones, uh, which do similar things... Uh, I'm not so sure that's great news long term for Apple.
5: Yeah, and I don't think that's a game that they're going to play in. They know their customer base pretty pretty well, and it's an upscale. Do uh, so you think this base. is a one time kind of thing? I think I think so. In advance of what appears to be uh, an earlier than expected release of the of the next uh, round of phones, and in some ways, you know, it's a public service. It is a fantastic device, yeah. and uh, if it is going to be able to uh, appeal at the pocketbook level to folks who might otherwise not afford it, it's a good thing.
3: Do they yeah. turn off the faithful by selling it at Walmart? Because the, the Apple fans I know, I, it's I, not I don't, chic. Yeah.
5: Well, you know. In some ways, that's inevitable. Though. Their their market cap now is larger than Microsoft's. They're they're not In spite of the Zune. In spite of the Zoom <laughs> guys. And, speaking of uh, commodity pricing, apparently Microsoft's <laughs> thinking about cutting its price there too. It's inevitable. I mean, you got to go where the growth is. And for for Apple, that's a segment where they could possibly grow.
2: When you look at Apple's competition, you've got. The Android software, um, for whatever they're worth, Dell and others are, are trying to compete with the iPad. There are reports that the government may have some antitrust questions about Apple. What's the biggest threat to Apple's plan for world domination. Steve Jobs. <laughs>
5: <laughs> I don't think it's I don't think it's the, the probe, certainly into the, the music side of the business. I think Apple has played that pretty efficiently and effectively, and that game is just about up, as I think they sort of tacitly acknowledged when they bought LaLa last year. It's all going to be in the cloud. This physical storage thing is going to go away, and so the iTunes, as we currently know it, is probably not going to be a part of the plan for Apple for that much longer.
4: I got to say, I, th- I think it's hard for any tech company to get really big without some kind of antitrust. Uh, that's you right. know, Issue coming into play. You know, we saw it with Microsoft, and I think that would be to your question, Chris, the impediment. And so? that's
3: why I said Steve Jobs. If if you can trust the reports, and this is all just sketchy rumors and people who don't want to, do, don't want their names given. But the uh, first we talked about the antitrust on software applications. Apple supposedly trying to strong arm developers into only developing for the iphone and the ipad now we're talking about apple possibly leaning on record labels to not work with amazon and
2: others when you're as big as they are you don't get to do that anymore that's right time for the adventures of goofy and dopey no it's not a new disney cartoon it's just the latest corporate scandal an assistant to a high-ranking disney executive and her boyfriend have been arrested and charged with insider trading According to the Justice Department, the perfectly named Bonnie Jean Hoxie was attempting (laughs) to sell information on Disney's quarterly earnings to hedge fund managers who just happened to turn out to be undercover FBI agents. James, you're our resident former hedge fund analyst. Uh, What do you think about Bonnie Jean?
4: Well, frankly, Chris, as long as she hasn't delayed the Jonas Brother tour, I'm fine. with her. <laughs> Jonas is a Disney property. Uh, actually, you know, it does say something about the hedge fund people because I, you know, like I said, I used to work at a hedge fund, and and they are uh, actually some decent people. I, I heard that it was actually the hedge funds that turned her into the SEC. Yeah, she they sent they, some sent, they them out. Email to 33 different fund managers, and they, they passed that along. So lesson is: don't send mass emails about this kind of stuff. Just send something to us, and we'll. I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm do not send anything to us along these lines, please.
3: Uh, yeah, I, there's, I, a, there's another lesson. Go ahead. If I could interject quickly. Sure. And that is, uh, I'm going to suggest that Bonnie Jean learn how to use the Google. <laughs> and before you try to give people insider information, you might want to use the Google to look up uh, sentencing guidelines, Because <laughs> especially before you set your price. Because according to the story, anyway, they... They asked for $15,000 for information that could get you 20 years or so in jail. That's a really lousy <laughs> annual wage. Bad price point, Yeah, what you're saying.
5: <laughs> I think you guys are way too hard. For my part, she had me a Bonnie Jean.
2: <laughs> Sony wants a bigger piece of your living room. The company announced it will offer on-demand access to HBO through its PlayStation 3. Seth Jason, Microsoft and Nintendo already have deals with some of the cable networks, film studios, and Netflix. So a lot of competition for your television dollar. Who's going to win? I think the game consoles stand a very good
3: chance of, if not winning, uh, of interrupting some revenue streams and changing the playing field to a great degree. I I stream Netflix on my Xbox at home, and that's the only TV we watch anymore. I'm not so sure that that what we're seeing right now from Sony, this is just HBO, and this is still the sort of pay-to-download model. So you buy a show for three dollars or for ninety nine cents i'm not sure that that's what that's a little bit like the itunes model i'm not sure that works the same for video as it does for music but in the long run i think that this is is a winning technology because there's only so many plugs in the back of a tv and, and people only want to put a couple of things in there and so game consoles are already incredibly popular to the extent that they can replace yet another tv cable box i think they're going to do very well
4: But what if tvs just add more plugs (laughs) <laughs> well, that, that's,
3: that's, that's actually already happening, but I think people's appetite for boxes hooked up to the TV is, is pretty low.
2: Alright, if you could only watch one TV show for the rest of your life, what are you watching? Seth, I'm, I'll start with you.
3: Uh, I, I have a very strange it's uh, All Creatures Great and Small the, the British series based on the wow. James Harriet books mm. because they're kind of funny but they also are very feel good so if you have if you pick something wow. kind of edgy that, that's got more personality the kind of thing I would like to identify with I think it starts to feel old after a while. So this you, is something you could watch and feel good about for a long time. You really, you really,
5: you love the animals. You were talking about not being able to eat pigs because you find them cute. You were showing us a koala bear that looked I like, like a, I
4: like the animals, yeah. Except chickens, right? Except chickens. I'll eat it. I don't care about it. <laughs> James Early. Chris, I promise I'm an intellectual in other ways, but I'm going to go with Beverly Hills <laughs> 90210. <laughs> oh, we the, I knew this that. This is a solid show. Yeah, you knew that. You know, not in Melrose Place. That, that, that no, was no, trash. No, they were no. doing anything for ratings. What a but terrible spin-off. It got like ten years. You know, it was a solid run.
5: Uh, it's, it's so many, so many possibilities. You know, it would be if you got Seinfeld along with Curb Your Enthusiasm. That would be uh, one you of. You only them. get one. dude. Six Feet Under. That could be. That could be great. First season of Twin Peaks. But I think I'm going to have to go with I Dream of Jeannie. I Dream of Jeannie, uh. and the reason should be obvious.
2: That's good. And you know <laughs> what? You know what? For, for our listeners, that, that, bala- that balances out the, the erudite BBC stuff that <laughs> Seth was watching. Steve Broido, yeah. do you have a, a show you'd like to pick for all of eternity? I think it's a coin flip for me between
1: Frontline on PBS and Celebrity Rehab on... <laughs>
2: <laughs> Any chance there could be a combination there? Could they, could they get some PBS celebrities in rehab on rehab could we That's... or or could we get like a frontline special behind the scenes celebrity rehab sounds like magic to me oh can i change <laughs> to
3: cops <laughs> you want to go from the bbc feel good
2: animal show to cops
5: yeah but the, that, that show is genius first season you know season 180 yeah. not, not so much
2: the guys will be back later in the show to share the stocks that are on their radar but we want to hear from you tell us your one go-to tv show and Tell us what you think of BP and how they're handling the crisis. Email us at motleyfullmoney at fool.com. That's motleyfullmoney at fool.com. Get Get a okay. Coming up, corporate library co founder and film critic Nell Minow gives her review on BP and some movies for Memorial Day. Stay with us. You're listening to Motley Fool Money. Welcome back to Motley Fool Money. I'm Chris Hill. Nell Minow is the co-founder of the Corporate Library, which reviews and ranks corporate boards. She's also a film critic known as the Movie Mom. Her recent reviews have included the words excruciating and out of control and utterly toxic. One of those was in reference to the performance of BP's CEO, the other in reference to the movie *McGruber*. Now, Minow, welcome back to Motley Full Money.
0: Thank you very much. Good to be back. Uh,
2: let's start with BP. Earlier in the week, you said that BP CEO Tony Hayward's behavior was out of control and utterly toxic.
0: Just like the oil spill. <laughs>
2: uh, on Friday, Hayward said the spill was, quote, an environmental catastrophe. Um, Does his coming around to that change your mind at all?
0: Um, It's too little, too late. Uh, uh, They've made so many mistakes. I'm not sure that they can ever come out of this again. They may be like Philip Morris and have to change their name, uh, and he may not survive. I'm predicting he may be gone by the end of the year. Uh, The fact is that his initial response was so clumsy and so inappropriate that it's... uh, taken a terrible reputational hit that it didn't need to take
2: what should he be doing that he's not
0: well basically if he did the opposite of everything he's doing he would be in much better shape i think that you know going down over the centuries uh it will be uh, up there with let them eat cake will be his description of the spill the oil spill as tiny in proportion to the size of the ocean
2: yeah that was bad
0: that was bad um the other thing I I understand, I am a lawyer, I understand what his lawyers have told him, but to say, of course we will play all legitimate complaints, to appear before Congress and blame the contractor um, is just shameful. Uh, What he should do is say, we accept responsibility, Uh, we are going to First, devote our full attention to stopping and mitigating and curing this problem, and then we are going to devote our full attention to making sure it never happens again. That's what you should do.
2: You've written uh, about how BP has really worked to set itself apart as one of the good guys. Um, what's, what's the disconnect here? Was all of that just clever marketing by BP, or now, has the company's leadership lost its way?
0: I was very suspicious of BP. They were were never on my good guy list, uh, partly because of their involvement with PetroChina, which I thought was reprehensible. But yes, they have said for years, BP stands for Beyond Petroleum. We're just, you know, the green company and we're going to help people. But most of that was under Hayward's predecessor, Lord Brown. So uh, they have not been on as many good guy lists since he took over. He's kind of known as the green eye shade guy, and I don't mean green in the sense of environmental, I mean green in the sense of sharpening pencils and cutting costs.
2: You're listening to Motley Full Money. We're talking with Nell Minow from the Corporate Library, also the movie mom. Memorial Day weekend, traditionally the start of the summer movie season, so let's dig into the movies a little bit. Uh, Shrek 4 opened last weekend. Disappointing box office, really. Is that because of the film itself, or because of these stories I'm seeing about $20 tickets?
0: I think, yeah, I know what a demand curve looks like, and I think it definitely has to do with the $20 tickets. That's a lot for a family of four, and uh, it's just, uh, in, in this day, it's, it's difficult to get people to get that kind of money together for a movie. Um, I think that the Shrek franchise still has a lot going for it, Uh, and I think that the movie is a lot better than Shrek 3. It may be suffering a little bit of the uh, backlash from Shrek 3, and I think it will do very, very well ultimately. It did a lot better than Shrek 1 in its first week in the theaters because it took a while for that one to gain momentum. So I think this one has got some staying power, and I I think it will do well. One thing that bothers me a lot about the Shrek movie, though, is that they announced this week a number of what they call marketing partners. You know what that means? That means product placement. And of Shrek course. Is, Shrek is out there showing everything from hold on to your hat, green Twinkies, oh. and again, I don't mean green the environmental; I mean the color. Oh. To credit cards, because all these kids, of course, are very excited. Wait a getting- minute.
2: Well, hold on. Hold on. Shrek credit cards?
0: Yeah, there's a Shrek credit card promotion, and they're you know they they're just doing. Um, so much damage, it seems to me, to their brand and to their character by shilling him out this way, and I think it's particularly unfortunate in a movie that is directed at kids. I understand that Sex and the City has got a lot of marketing partners, and they're selling laptops and various other things, but that's okay. The movie's basically an infomercial, Um, but for a a kid's movie, I don't think they should do that.
2: Oh, is there no shame? Um, We had a debate on this program uh, a couple weeks back, where we we're basically trying to decide between Iron Man 2 and Toy Story 3, which mm-hmm. movie we thought was going to be more successful. Now, obviously, Iron Man 2 has been out for a few weeks. It's um, uh, made gobs of money. Uh, have you seen Toy Story 3 yet?
0: I have not, but I'm betting on Toy Story 3. Why is that? Well, um, past performance sometimes is an indicator of future performance. Pixar is the most successful movie studio in history, the only movie studio in history where not only has every one of their movies made money, but every one of their movies has made over $100 million. There's a very, very strong franchise there with Toy Story. People love those characters. They can't wait to see them again. And Pixar seems to be the only studio that understands, I'm talking to you, Prince of Persia, that it's the script that really matters.
2: (laughs) Are you suggesting that Jerry Bruckheimer is producing movies that may not have the the strongest storylines?
0: That is what I'm suggesting. You know, it's fine if you want to make a movie based on a theme park ride, which is what Jerry Bruckheimer did with Pirates of the Caribbean, but if you're going to make one based on a video game, you've got to you know, bring your A-game when it comes to creating a story and characters people care about. And I don't think in ancient Persia, when they were fighting with each other, they said things like, is that all you got?
2: Yeah, probably not. In honor of Memorial Day, um, what are two or three of, of your top movies when it comes to dealing with the topic of war?
0: Uh, I have a bunch of them uh, from Memorial Day up on my website. And I think that some of the best are, I really love Friendly Persuasion, which is a Civil War movie with um, Gary Cooper. I think that's a a terrific movie about what war means. Sergeant York, another Gary Cooper movie, is a classic. I like Mr. Roberts because it's about how even the people who are not right on the battle line are are serving honorably and, and how much we depend on them. Um, I like Gardens of Stone, uh, one of Francis Coppola's least known, but I think best films about Arlington Cemetery. And, of course, you know, some of the great battle movies. Uh, Audie Murphy, who starred as himself uh, in Back, He was the most decorated soldier of World War II, and he tells his own story. It's just extraordinary.
2: All right, time to wrap things up with a round round of Buy, Sell, or Hold. As you mentioned, this movie just opened. Buy, Sell, or Hold, Sex in the City 2.
0: Hold. I think that uh, at two and a half hours, one of, uh, it's too long just as a narrative matter, but also it makes it hard to have a lot of showings. And you, when you make a movie that long, you cut down on the number of tickets you can sell.
2: They've been heavily criticized for their privacy policies. Buy, sell, or hold Facebook.
0: Sell. Sell today. Uh, there are no barriers to entry. Everybody is looking for an alternative. Uh, the, uh, Facebook is uh, last year's news.
2: And finally, this movie opened at the Cannes Film Festival, and as investors, we can't help but be drawn to it. Buy, seller, hold, Wall Street 2, Money Never <laughs> Sleeps.
0: I was very bearish on it until I saw the trailer, which I thought was super. I think it's definitely a hold and maybe a little bit of a nudge toward buy. I think it looks very good, but the real movie at Cannes that... You want to keep an eye out on is Charles Ferguson's new movie about the Wall Street meltdown, uh, which I think is going to be um, bigger than uh, Michael Moore's any Michael Moore's best film.
2: It's a documentary. Yeah. And what's the title?
0: I think it's called Inside Job.
2: She is the co-founder of the Corporate Library. She is the movie mom, and she is absolutely one of our favorites, Nell Minow. Thanks for being here.
0: My pleasure.
2: Coming up, the man who brought you the Aflac duck. You're listening to Motley Fool Money. Welcome back to Motley Fool Money. I'm Chris Hill. Dan Amos is the chairman and CEO of Aflac, the largest provider of supplemental health and life insurance in the world and a Motley Fool Stock Advisor recommendation. He was named CEO in 1990, and one of his decisions would end up making Aflac a household name. He joins me in studio now. Dan, welcome.
1: Oh, thank you for having me.
2: So uh, when I say Aflac, everybody automatically thinks of the duck. How did the duck become part of this historic company of yours? Well,
1: uh, I've been CEO now for over 20 years, and I was trying to get name recognition for the company. And for the first 10 years, uh, I just couldn't move the needle. We went from like 2% to 10 and I knew that I could never really get it up, and so we put out bold uh, opportunities for people to bid on coming up with the idea of something that would get our name recognition. Ad agencies? Ad agencies, exactly. And a particular ad agency came up with the idea of the Affleck duck. They kept saying, Aflac, Affleck, and they said, that sounds like a duck. And so we ended up going with the Affleck
2: duck, and today our name recognition is 94%. Now, how do you make that sell to your colleagues at the company, to the board of directors. I mean, this is an insurance company. Insurance is not a particularly bold and innovative industry, or it's certainly not known for that.
1: No, that's right. I think uh, insurance companies, as a general rule, are considered somewhat stodgy, and, and that was one of the challenges we had, is we tried the traditional way of doing it, of being very conservative, and we just couldn't do that. And so I finally said, let's do something different and we tested different commercials and one of the stories I like to tell is is that commercials uh, of insurance categories and financial services tested kind of like a 12 on average for these particular tests they give and we came up with the idea of a commercial back in 2000 with Ray Ramado that we thought about making and it tested with little children and building blocks in the end it formed AFLAC and it tested an 18 well we'd never scored higher than a 12 before and so that was perfect but then the aflac duck idea came up and it tested a 27 (laughs) and so uh it was very hard for me in some ways to do it because you're basically making fun of your name but i thought this will ultimately be better i remember though uh, one of my friends that's the CEO, I called him and I said, now, what would you do? And he said, look, nobody's ever gotten fired for doing 50% better. Go with the, uh, go with Ray Ramada. But ultimately, I took him to the board, showed him the 27 scores and said, look, y'all just gonna have to trust me. We're going to try this. If it doesn't work, we'll pull it fast. And of course, we got more hits
2: the first week we introduced it than we did the entire year before on the internet what is it meant for your business uh, you know beyond just the name recognition of your company skyrocketing uh, what does it mean in terms of revenue for your company
1: well uh, in the United States the first three years that we brought out the aflag duck our sales doubled so it was a tremendous uh, a positive thing for our sales and uh, then it you know leveled off to some degree Mm -hmm. but uh, it was it was an exciting period for us and it it helped us in recruits you know it helped us uh, with existing policyholders and i think to some degree it even uh, people like to be able to identify with stocks they own so i think from that standpoint to say i own x and they say oh yeah i know that i've seen
2: the commercials i think people like that so it's worked out well you're listening to motley full money we're talking with dan amos the chairman and ceo of aflac Japan represents a huge chunk of your business. Um, Is this right? You insure one out of every four households in Japan? Yeah, most people don't realize how much of
1: our business is in Japan. Almost 80 percent of our business is in Japan. We insure one out of four households, we insure 90 percent of all the companies listed on the Tokyo Stock Exchange, and we became the number one insurance company in Japan in terms of policies in force passing Nippon Life who held that title for over a hundred years. How did did you get that kind of foothold in Japan? Well, uh, the healthcare environment over there has gradually changed. Uh, They have national healthcare. They had gone from a zero uh, deductible and copay to 10%, then 20%, and now 30%. And so they needed something to help fill those voids. And we've always been the low-cost producer over there and given the best product at the best value and so our business skyrocketed and uh, it's continued to grow over there and we're having a great year uh this year
2: how does the duck translate over in uh, in
1: japan uh, the, the duck is very interesting um the duck is a much softer duck. We, we use, for example, the Gilbert Gottfried in the United States, Sure. but Japanese do not like loud voices or strong voices. So Gilbert Gottfried not doing big so business in Japan. Gilbert Gottfried is not. We use <laughs> yeah. a much softer voice. The other thing that's interesting is in our commercials, you, you've probably noticed that only one person notices him. There's this African American that we use who who notices the duck, but nobody else does. And that works very well in America, because many people feel they're being ignored, and, and they it actually relates to people. In Japan, that's considered rude. So everybody sees the duck in Japan, and it is a very big hit over there.
2: Um, AfLAC the stock has, uh, your company has a market cap of $20 billion. Uh, for the past eight years, Affleck has been on Fortune Magazine's list of America's most admired companies, for the past 12 years fortune's list of 100 best companies to work for do you ever get sick of talking about the duck i mean you've you've, you've amassed an amazing track record here um doesn't that I don't know. Does that ever bother you on some level? Oh, no. It doesn't bother me at all. In (laughs) fact, I get kidded all the time. I only own duck ties.
1: (laughs) Uh, I gave away all my ties. I came from marketing, so I like to be branded with the duck because the duck has been a winner. And so anytime I'm in the presence of a winner, I enjoy
2: it. And so from that standpoint, it's been great. Since Dan Amos became CEO in 1990, Affleck stock is up 27 times in value against the S&P 500, which is up three times In value over the same period. Talk about shareholder value. Dan Amos, thanks so much for being here. Uh, Thank you for having
0: me.
2: As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about. Don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. Chris Hill and back in the studio with me are trio of senior analysts, Seth Jason, James Early, and Shannon Zimmerman guys. Let's go around the table, talk about the stocks that are on our radar. Shannon Zimmerman, we'll start with you.
5: Well, my radar stock is Costco. C-O-S-T is the ticker. And I think that there's a case to be made for Costco being one of the best uh, companies on the planet. Top five, easily. Things just uh, keep rolling along for Costco. Uh, Sales up by about 12%. And a lot of that owes to uh, gasoline prices, which were up over the quarter as well, and some favorable currency effects. But you even back that out, and and they're still growing. And their membership base is growing as well. And of course, that's their bread and butter. and That's where they get their operating profit, Right? Yeah, it's just they're printing money with that uh, with that operation, and something there's something uh, special about Costco. You know, you would think that Walmart would be able to take away a bigger piece of its market share through the Sam's Club, and they're making some progress, uh, but not even Walmart can can take down Costco. So it doesn't look cheap at about 18 times uh, analyst estimates uh, for earnings, but still, uh, give it a close look. It's a great company.
4: Any place selling hundred count toilet paper is good with me.
2: <laughs> <laughs> James Early,
4: Chris. Uh, before I get to my stock, I just want to say I think Greece might still default eventually, and I think there's some articles out there to this so I would still steer clear of Europe uh, separately now my stock is Clorox this is also an income investor recommendation, it just raised its dividend 10%, even more than Heinz. It yields about 3.5% now, and its brands include not just Clorox, but, but a lot of others. I'm just going to read 40 of them right now, <laughs> <laughs> First Bees, Liquid Plumber, Brita Water Filters, Hidden Valley Ranch, Pine Sol, Kingsford Charcoal, and, and actually a lot more. It really gushes free cash flow, it's really, really profitable in a cash sense, and the shares have been a little bit left behind, and the markets rallied this past year, so
2: I think now could be a good time to buy it. I'm just a little squeamish at the fact that Clorox has Hidden Valley Ranch in its portfolio, <laughs> yeah. like the cleansing products and, and the charcoal. Hand. That's all good, but th- th- I don't know. That's Common Thread, corn syrup. You know, I heard uh, <laughs> that a friend of mine from college designed the
3: Clorox bleach pen. Really? Who, she wasn't yeah. even a chemistry type. She w- I gotta find out if that's true. Sarah Snudden, are you out there? <laughs> Give us a call.
2: Seth, what's your radar stock?
3: Well, I have, to, I have to scream about Greece because they hurt my radar stock this week. <laughs> Guess, which I've talked about before, yes, the jeans makers, don't, don't, I don't wanna hear any more acid wash jokes from, from any of you. <laughs> it's, uh, true. They it's, reported, it's true, it's funny it's true. They reported first quarter results, which were amazing, uh, another uh, record quarter, revenue increased 22%, EPS up 54%, uh, double digit comps all over the place. Here's the problem, Well, actually, after hours, after they delivered this news, the stock dropped, but then it it bounced up in trading after that because what they said is they, they lowered their guidance for the next year, but that was all because of the euro. It wasn't because they didn't think they'd sell more stuff. It was because they thought the stuff they were going to sell in Europe would be worth less in dollars, and it's worth less in dollars because of the euro because of this whole Greece thing. So, dang you, grease! <laughs> Leave my jeans alone. But Guess actually looks pretty cheap to me. The stock has been uh, creamed lately. so.
2: We'll end it there. Seth Jason, James Early, Shannon Zimmerman. Guys, thanks for being here. Good to be Hi, with Chris. you. Chris. Thanks to our special guests this week, Dan Amos and Nell Minow. If you missed any part of the show, you can find it at our website, MotleyFoolMoney at fool.com. Our engineer is Steve Broido. Our producer is Matt Greer. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.